0: going rock the going scream my name, make you shout now, honey. Gonna make you shout.
1: Whether you're an independent artist looking to take their career to the next level, or you're a fan that just loves to discover new artists and new original music, making a scene has exactly what you're looking for. For The Indie Artist, we have articles on music business, gear reviews, recording techniques, and interviews with industry professionals. For The Fan, we introduce you to new artists every day with our in-depth artist interviews and insightful CD reviews. Nobody gives you more. Making a Scene truly is the number one resource for the indie artists and the fans that love them, go to makingascene.org and become part of the indie revolution. And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, the John Spear Band. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
2: In that place where the good Lord split
3: Play it on the B-side Gonna play it on the B-side the play
1: Spear band and from their brand new release, and we've got Andy Burdesky and John Spear on the line right now. Hey guys, how you doing? We're
4: doing well, Richard. How about yourself? I'm doing, doing good.
1: Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I'm hanging in here. Now, uh, this is the first time you guys have been on the show, and we always like to give our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are by the journey that you've taken and where you came from. So, give us the story of the John Spear Band, and of course, of you guys individually, how you got involved in music and got to where you are today.
3: Well, I'll, uh, this
5: is John Spear, and I will uh, say my journey started quite a few, many years ago, because uh, I'm of the older persuasion, and, uh, and I uh, became aware of back the fact during the early days of rock and roll, when the blues had a baby and they called it rock and roll. And uh, I cut my teeth on this stuff, loved it, started a band uh, when I was in elementary school and I really never stopped uh, in spite of having a a career where I had to work to pay the bills. I always had a band going on the side and finally I decided to uh, actually retire from the working world uh, and move down to central Virginia, the Charlottesville area. I resolved to, to really uh, in uh, making music, and that's when I was fortunate enough uh, to meet Andy.
1: Okay, and,
5: and uh, ha- Andy uh, was very active in the local blues society, and maybe he wants to talk a little bit about that.
6: Yes, yeah, so um, I, I was the president of the Central Virginia Blues Society for over nine years. It's a it's a uh, organization that we basically put together jamming in little juke joints in the central Virginia area, and we have a much lower population than most big cities do. Um, Charlottesville would be the popular town in central Virginia that uh, would be closest to where our central location would be. Charlottesville is where the University of Virginia is. And a couple of guys decided we were going to put together a local blue society way before we ever thought about make it anything close to what it became in the later years. And uh, a friend of mine, we were having one of our local jams. We used to have monthly jams at the local uh, venues. And this was at one of the local theaters at the community center. And a friend of mine who I knew through the Blue Society told me that this guy named John Spear will be uh, retiring in the area and he's coming to the jam that night. I said, great. That's awesome. And so we put him on the list of players you sign up to play, and John and I hooked up together and played four or five songs together and immediately clicked and Before we know it, we we're back and forth with phone calls and text, and we're basically putting a band together with local musicians that have all met through the central Virginia blue society,
1: okay, you know
6: I, and uh We didn't know what to call it. I've got a pretty good handle on booking gigs in the area. And so we wanted to book a couple of gigs, one being a New Year's Eve gig. And we're we're saying, well, what do we call this? God, what do we call the man? We just said, let's just call the John Spear man. (laughs) You know, we made John (laughs) the guy that's, you know.
5: Yeah, so I I got to be the one who had to fill out all the tax forms. Yeah, there you go.
1: Make the new guy responsible for everything. There you go. <laughs> that
6: was it. Exactly.
1: Okay. Now, you know, I, I, I've been involved with a lot of blues societies, uh, you know, the New the Long Island Blues Society, of course, and the Atlanta Blues Society, and, you know, I've known a lot of bands that have grown up through the jam circuit. Um, you know, I know on Long Island. You know, it's it's a cutthroat world out there in the in the jam world. How is it uh, in in the, your you know uh, blue society? How is the jam circuit there?
5: Well, we we think it was. Uh, I also uh, joined Andy on the board of the Blue Society, and the way we came at it was uh, maybe from a little bit the other direction because we really want to nurture and grow the blues. We want to encourage people to come out and participate particularly younger people, because as you know, the demographic of blues lovers is uh, getting older and grayer all the time. And so we wanted to encourage kids to come out, people who didn't play too often, uh, people who loved the blues, but just, you know, they had real jobs and they couldn't spend a lot of time, you know, gigging and things like that. So our effort was always aimed at getting people up there on stage, putting them up there with good musicians who would kind of, you know, on on either side of them and keep them afloat and so they really enjoyed it and and uh, really encourage them and and uh, that that worked very well for us plus we had our own good supply of local really great blues players so when we didn't have some of the newer or younger ones playing we had uh, other people up there so it was uh these things are a lot of fun and they're very important to uh to
1: people okay well let's talk about uh the new release you guys are putting out um when you were guy, when you were putting this together, what was your goal for this? What were you looking to achieve?
5: Well, we this is our, our, you may know, this is our fourth CD, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the first two uh, is uh, the, uh, the, the. I'm sorry, the first three was. Um, are you, Can you people? Can there folks still hear me? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Someone's trying to call through. Um, so um, we our our wish has always been to kind of push the the boundaries of the blues to kind of enhance it with some uh, a modern feeling a more maybe a you know a, a feeling that would appeal to uh, a broader audience you know we, everybody loves old blues but you know Bessie Smith is not going to be a uh, you know anyone who tries to you know really duplicate the old style too much it's just going to be seen as
1: maybe an anachronism well you so know we, we, it's it's interesting because um, one of the things I've always found in um, as far as the genre is concerned you go back to these artists they were innovators they weren't imitators you know they weren't oh, yeah. looking to, to you know stand on uh, the same you know floor as, the, as what came before them they took it and, and made it their own so yeah. you know by taking the blues and and taking it to a new place you're actually following the tradition of blues you know being innovators and taking it to a new place you know
5: well i appreciate that we so we try to take the best of the old and and maybe embellish it a little bit with the new and uh and see how people react to it but we we really like original music
1: okay well let's, let's well
6: you know it's kind of funny um people i've heard everything from you know oh you guys are a blues band but i want to be known for maybe a little bit more than that i mean if you listen to all of our albums our studio albums we did a live one where we did some covers but our three studio albums it's more than just straight blues or anything close to it i mean there's all different genres and styles of music in it um that that most musicians will hear it and people that listen to music a lot will but um, yeah, I, and especially this last one we did and if you listen to the whole one you'll know exactly what I'm talking about there's some straight blues in it there's some there's some dancing music there's some Latin beat there's even a little folky stuff going on in there somewhere so it's uh, we're, we're, even some rock in there as a matter of fact I wrote a song on there that's a kind of a rock in tune some people said it sounds like Deep Purple so um which wasn't my intention when i wrote it but it actually came out really well
1: well i mean if you even look at like bands like deep purple i mean their influences were the blues you know um they were yeah yeah i mean if you you know i always say that if you ask any artist and i don't care who it is you know what their who their influences were and you follow that trail back as far as you can go you will always end up on the same porch in mississippi you know what i mean yeah you know whether you whether you're you know deep purple or black sabbath or steely dan or whatever that line travels back to the blues no matter how you slice it that that you know that influential line
6: absolutely i agree <clears throat> so let's... it's been fun this the You know, people talk about what did you guys do during COVID where a lot of musicians and bands were shut down, venues were shut down, restaurants and music halls were shut down. Um, We learned about writing different kinds of music and I actually, this will be my singing debut on this album. There's two songs I'm singing on, lead singing on. And I really worked hard on doing that Um, and writing some music with our producer which was just I just thought it was the most creative part of my 40 some years of playing
1: Okay, well let's talk about that process of songwriting you know every writer has their way of tapping into that muse when you guys sit down as collaborators or even you know writing on your own what is your process that allows you to kind of get the gears going
4: well,
5: I, for me, John Spear, the, uh, I, I can't say anything is really, uh, uh, I don't have a sort of set and stone process I go through. I've, I've had experiences where in about 10 or 15 minutes, I'll have three quarters of a song written. It's very organic. It all fits together. Uh, uh I'll get a melody in my mind the, at the same time as so I, I get some few uh, basic lyrics and, uh... You know, it's tough. I've been asked that before. It's tough to say where, where it comes from. And I, I sometimes think that, uh, that songwriters or, or any kind of person who's creative, a poet or anything else, they've, you know, it's kind of little embryos in their brain that just waiting to come along and hatch. And when they do, there they are. And, and you can't even just say, oh, wow, where'd that come from? I, I've had other other songs where I've, I'll get an idea and uh, I will try it. I, I will try it. Two or three different melodies on it uh and uh, like on this uh the, on this cd heartbeat like a samba started out as a as a somewhat of a folky song and uh and i just and then one day but i i just felt it sounded to me it was a nice song but it was dated and then one day we were noodling in rehearsal and we started doing this kind of latin rhythm and uh it just sounded great and we were just jamming on it and then i got home later and i said well i wonder if, if uh, at that at that time the song was called come let's go up to the mountain and i said well,
4: i wonder how
5: you know i've been looking for something for that song i wonder how they would fit together and boom if it didn't fit and then um it hadn't had the chorus yet when i was listening to it i said well you know let's uh i'm just came up with this heartbeat like a samba just I have these things where all of a sudden a phrase will come into my mind I have no idea where they come from but you know there's all kinds of of tricks that songwriters use I try to sit down and create myself but sometimes you know you you change the tuning on your guitar for example that's what I do sometimes so instead of so if you try to play the same old chords uh, they don't work because if you finger if you change the tuning on your guitar and you play a chord it just doesn't sound right so you have to you know, find a way to play the chords by putting your fingers somewhere else, and so on. That you know, you you play differently. Some, uh, I have, sometimes I play it on another instrument, like a piano that I don't really play very well. Or uh, so this, it just seems like all of them for me. Most of them are are hard work. You just I've taken years to drag some of these songs, kicking and screaming out into the open, changing them two or three times. But uh, I thought all of a sudden, I get, and then I bounce them off the band. And those guys say, yeah, that's, that works. That's okay. And then, then I kind of feel better
6: about it. <laughs> a lot of times things change in the studio, too. I mean, you'll, we've had a couple of songs, um, especially on our last album, we had a couple of songs that we did some things by accident, and <laughs> we listened to it again, and we're like, wow, man, that, that sounds so much better than what we originally were going to do. And so we ended up, a mistake ended up being something that made that song much better. Um, like la, uh, like blues for a soldier that we blues did. Blues for a soldier, uh, yeah, I remember that. Blues for a soldier, you know, we did, I mean, it was, we just did a couple of things on there kind of reverse of the way we were gonna do them. And it ended up, it's one of my favorite songs and we don't play it out that much. I, I, I kind of wish we did, but it, it's just such a great song John wrote um, for the Hot Sauce album. It's just, it's just really surreal if you listen to it and really... With John's music, you have to, his lyrics are incredible, and I tell people you have to listen to the lyrics. A lot of people just get the beat of the music and they don't really figure out what the song is trying to tell you. Uh, maybe trying to tell you a story, or, or it may have two meanings to it. And, and it's trying to say, hey, you got to figure out, you know, what is this song really about? Is it about this or is it about that? And um, I think that's the cool thing about about writing.
1: Okay. Now, you know, you had mentioned that, you know, that um, the song evolves in the studio. But, you know, you always got to get to that point where you say, okay, it's time to put the pen down. It's time to bring this into production and, and give it to the band and, and allow them to put their fingerprints on it. And that, what do you do to determine when a song is done?
5: I uh, try to... I've gotten in the habit the last two, three, four years of, of making sketches. And I think I probably got this from our producer, Andy Waldeck. Um, and he'll do this also when he's working uh, with Andy Berduzky, uh, and maybe putting together a song. So, one, I, And I've started to put together enough of a home studio that I can I can kind of create a, a song well enough so people get an idea of what it should sound like or what I would like it to sound like. So I'll, I'll take a song when I think it's ready, and I will. I'll just try to take it down to my studio in the basement, and I'll I'll try to create a, something. Of course, it's rough. It's like a, a bad demo, but you can get the idea uh, from it of of what I'm hoping to accomplish. And I and I send it out, and then the, the guys um, tell me, oh, John, you better go back to the studio and try this some more." Or they say, <laughs> "Yeah, we, <laughs> we we like it. So let's yeah, let's try it." And uh, so uh, that's kind of. I, I start bouncing it off people. I, I don't know when I've written a good song or not. Uh, and and uh, I, it just, uh, because I've never, no one except me has ever heard it. And of course, I'm going to love everything I write. Every songwriter does. Uh, but that's mean other, other people in the world will like it. So I need to bounce it off people. You know, starting with my wife, and then uh, I'll go on. If I can find my son and his wife around, I'll play it for them, and then the band. And
1: then, uh, as long as they don't start throwing things at me, I go, well, let Yeah, it, it's possible. Yeah, okay. <laughs> now, let's talk a little bit about going into the studio. Um, you know, having a good song gives you something to say. But going in the studio is where you create the voice, where you create the sound that not only, not only identifies the song, but also identifies you as an artist. And that is an art form in itself. What do you guys do uh, in that environment that helps you capture your sound?
6: Andy, you wanna run with that one? Well, you know me being a me being a bass player, it's, it's definitely. I mean, the first thing it's it's it, the sound is definitely going to be the the getting the rhythm down. We always try to get the drums down first, you know, what the beat's going to be, um, and you know, it's funny there's a couple, you hear different things about some of the guys in the band, their styles. Um, we have a young guy in our band, he's a guitarist uh, and sings really good and he also plays harmonica and he's, he's a lot younger than the rest of us and he, um,
5: We're if talking you about hear a da- Dara
6: James, Dara James, you know, you hear, you hear Carlos Santana and then you'll hear, um, you know, um, David Gilmore and I've heard so many people say that and they'll say, Yeah, it's really cool. We'll hear a blues song, you guys will do a blues song and then that David Gilmore sound will come out. Which which really worked well on this last album, especially on one of our one of the songs, Musky Grind, that's on the what's on the it's the, uh, on the new album. It's a song I wrote basically about fishing. And um so I, I think it's trying to capture those sounds along with maybe some of the beat, some of the some of the good rhythm beats that we can get in there. And yeah. John helps helps me out tremendously as a bass player because he's the best best rhythm guitar player I've played with. And so that that's an underrated thing when you have a, a really good rhythm player that is unselfish. I think that's more important than having a guy that can really. You know, the, hit a million notes, and that, to me, isn't what makes the sound in a band.
1: Okay. When we,
5: when we put a song together, too, in the studio, we, I, we try to um, remember our dynamics. And uh, it's, it's, I think it's second nature to a lot of musicians, but it, uh, but not, not always. Because, you know, a lot of people just want to smack you in the face right from the very first note, and then they just go on like that till the end of the song and uh, you know we like to build some some variety into the song you know some change instruments have soft volume here and there and then bring it up as the mood of the song may change you know keep some space in the song too so a lot of our time in the studio uh, is spent you know making sure that the uh that the music is is kind of has that stereo imagery and uh, dynamics that Make listening really interesting. It's just not all one big loud noise from beginning to end.
1: Okay. Now, um, tell me a little bit about the lineup on this. Who's who's playing on this? Between you know, besides you guys.
5: Well, we we have the uh, yeah we we have um, Skip Haga is a uh, local guy here in the Charlottesville area. He he plays with the Chickenhead Blues Band. He's been playing around here forever and this this guy is like he's just got amazing keyboard skills and uh, Andy Burdetsky's idea was to to get him and put him on the uh, on the album and when we heard it well go ahead Andy you go go ahead and tell the story
6: well I wanted to definitely have at least because when we did the sketch for my song Can't Have Nothing which was the first uh, song on this album that I wrote um, I would I said, I got to have some sort of a, a, a Hammond organ sound because it was just going to make make that song. Uh, we did the sketch with it. And um, so I started talking to my producer. I said, you know, Skip Hag is the best around here. He's been around. He's been playing locally in the area, I swear to God, since 1968. Um, I know guys that used to play with him in the early 70s. And um, I called him, and he was just so cool. He said... He said, uh, he says, I'll do whatever y'all want. Just give me, you know, this amount of money. It wasn't nothing. It was a very small amount for whatever you need me for the day in the studio, which you don't get that out of many musicians. You know, you have some guys will say, well, I need, you know, $400 a song or whatever, you know, $200 an hour or whatever. And he was the opposite of anything I've dealt with in the music industry, at least from my DC, my DC roots time. And, uh, When he came into the studio to do his tracks, he was completely charted and ready to go. I mean, he knew the songs better than we did, uh, just by hearing it two or three times. And I I told John, I said, I I really don't want to have more than the regular band on this with the exception of Skip. Well, when John heard him play, he says, you know, I may want to get him for a couple of my songs. I've got a couple that could really use, you know, some keyboards on it, especially, Our title cut, which is called the B-side of My Life, which is what the, you know, the album, the title cut is. Right. And man, he just kills it on it. And so his boogie-woogie piano, his Hammond organ, his his keyboard, all kinds of keyboard skills um, really, really, I think, enhance the album quite a bit.
1: Nice. Okay. Now... Yeah, but he's um, the only one. Go ahead. No,
6: I just
5: to say, he is the only uh, uh, guest musician on the album. Otherwise, it's just the uh, band members, the four band members.
1: Okay. Now, um, you guys, of course, once you get it recorded, you have to create the buzz. you got to get it to radio. Uh, and you're working with uh, Betsy Brown from Blind Raccoon. Tell me a little bit about how that relationship began.
5: Oh, it's a great story. Uh, we were very, uh, uh, you know, very fortunate to, to meet Betsy, and it was very uh, serendipitous because we were down in Memphis, and we had uh, won a local blues competition, and we were down there to compete in the uh, in the IBC, the International Blues Challenge, in Memphis, under the auspices of the Blues Foundation. And was was that 2014, Andy? I'm trying to remember when. Uh, so he we had went a,
6: down there. We won the Blues Challenge. Was 2016 because we had just um, put Old Soul out, and that's when okay, that's it was when Old Soul. Robin but had you, entered us. We won a raffle, is what happened.
5: Yeah, we had a friend who uh, who had our biz, our band card, and she was over at Beth, one of Betty's events, and Betty had a uh, a fishbowl there with, with cards, uh, and whoever you know, and it was like a raffle. So so my friend uh, Robin Kessler, I'll give her a shout out. She uh, she dropped a uh,
4: our card nice there,
5: and and out it, uh, and lo and behold, that was the one that was drawn. And so we get this email. We're back here at home and I get this email from Betsy who I didn't know and I thought at first was this some kind of scam because you get a lot of people saying hey I got the, the keys to the kingdom here Just, uh, uh, but as it turned out it was you know just a fantastic opportunity we had won one of her promotional packages and uh, so we said once we figured out it was for real and we knew, realized who she was and you know the, the sort of track record of her organization kind of like hell yes we want to do this so so she uh, she took this old soul probably would have uh uh not been a you know made much of a mark on the world but with with uh, that kind of promotion behind it it's got a lot of attention it charted hell it charted all over the world and got some wonderful attention put the band on the map really and so we used betsy again to release our, our next two albums and or actually i should say three because uh she's on this one too we uh and each time she's she's been able to to get the uh, the music out there I, I w- I'll say one thing about you know as an independent artist releasing music, there is so much good music Richard coming out these days being released by people who are every bit as talented or more talented than we are and 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 I think now the numbers up to sixty thousand new songs a day are being uploaded to Spotify uh, and and I feel some sometimes like new music is just like a I feel like a little cork out in the ocean tossed on the waves with all these other little corks uh, and and just you know to stand out you really have to uh, have somebody who knows the business well enough to get your music in front of the right people and that's really what, what that's Betsy's stock in trade. and trade so that's why we've come back to her
1: okay well let's talk about that um, that you know the industry right now um, you know Because let's face it, we've been in this digital revolution now for about 20 years, and it it has redefined the industry uh, several times over. You know, we've gone from CDs to, you know, um, downloads to, you know, now streaming. And the consumer has now gotten to the point where they don't even look at recorded music, the product of an independent artist, as a product anymore. You know, it's a service. You know, they can go on their phone and listen to anything that's been recorded in the last hundred years, practically, and and for nothing. You know, just bring it up. Mm -hmm. Um, How has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you guys as artists? Well,
5: it's certainly, uh, in the terms of production of music, it's made us really struggle with the idea, first of all, do we even make CDs anymore? Uh, is it worth it to make a CD and and also or maybe just release singles? You know, you can go through a huge amount of time and effort to to pick out songs to go on a CD. Try to develop a theme of all the songs so they kind of fit together, like in the good old days when you're, you know, you'd get an album by one of the old greats, you know, a Beatles album or a Paul Simon album or something like that. It was very thematic, and uh, it, you and you you design the cover art and and you get all your songs on there, and then now you send it out to the stream, you know, the, the streaming services, and they take your beautiful CD, they, they pull out, they throw the cover in the garbage, the CD gets ripped, all the songs get categorized separately, this one's chill, this one's rock, this one's happy, this one goes on a relaxing playlist, and next thing, you know, it's all, it's all broken up and spread out like that, and you wonder, why the hell did we even bother to do that? Uh, so it, it really is Dramatically changed it Of course the, the monetization of music Is dramatic, it has changed just as much So uh, it's, it's, a, it's quite a different world on, But I will say On the other hand uh, You know it's, uh, it's, There's been a lot of uh, you, there's, a, there's more of a Direct line of sight now between independent Artists and where you want to be So there's a lot of independent artists who Don't even bother with record labels anymore you just go right to it. I mean, I just pitched our new song "B Side of My Life." I pitched it to Spotify myself, and lo and behold, we're on uh, we're on their release radar playlist. I just saw today. Uh, I was nobody did that. I just did that myself. So right. So, so it's a it's a blessing and a curse. I don't know, Andy. Did you, want, did you want to talk about that too? I mean, uh, I don't want to. Well, talk
6: about that. Uh, we 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 did really think long and hard about doing it, doing this i think the main thing is just the, the getting it out there at your gigs is the, the key with the cd and of course when you work with a publicist they they want a physical cd as well they can get it out to the disc jockeys and if you can call that anymore or the you know the, uh, the viewers yeah yeah and um it, now the price has drapped, it dropped dramatically as far as manufacturing goes so i mean you can do a thousand of them it's not it's not going to kill you, it's not going to break the bank. It was, you know, 10 years ago, it was, it was probably double that. Um, and we have a really good friend, artist, that does amazing work. He's done our, the last two covers of our CDs. Um, hard to beat the, the work that he does, gra- graphic work. So we said, yeah, let's just go ahead and do it. And, of course, people are going <laughs> to go to Spotify anyway. I mean, I'm guilty myself. I use Spotify. And i it's it's kind of a dagger, really. I mean... Like John always says, you get what, five thousand plays. Might you know when you sell one CD? It's the same as five thousand plays on Spotify. So it, it is. It is a tricky thing, you know. And you hear about people messing around with vinyl again. Um, how many how many vinyl albums are we really going to sell? Unless you know, just something breaks loose. I think the whole concept of it of it is really cool. Vinyl. Um, I love vinyl. I love analog. But realistically. Is it going to put you in the poorhouse before you can, you know, get, sell two or three of them? Well, you
5: know, I'm, I'm just going to chime in just real quick on that. That, you know, with on on streaming, I think now the average song is, uh, I think the average song is like skipped. You know, after like the first six seconds, maybe twenty, thirty percent of the songs are skipped, uh, and then another, you know, twenty. Seconds go by, and people have skipped. Uh, those who haven't skipped will do it, and so there's, a, and so it's really changed the way you make a music, you write a song. You, uh, you know, you, you know, you almost a lot of songs now they start with a chorus. It's like, don't bore us, get to the chorus. Long introductions are gone. No one does them anymore because they're just afraid someone's going to hear that and just boom, skip it. Uh, and. So it's it's a it's a very strange, uh, rapidly changing dynamic. Songs songs are getting shorter. They are they are drifting down to where the average song is going to be less than three minutes now. So all of that
4: has an impact.
1: Oh yeah, and you know I, I, I and I agree with you on that. Um, I don't really have a um, you know I don't understand the mindset behind the single. The single doesn't make any sense. There's no economic. Um, Recovery from putting out a single. Um, there's no goal to it, you know, other than putting it out, um, and it's actually, to me, detrimental. If you, if someone hears a song or a single, and they go to your Spotify, if there's not a body of work there for them to choose from, then they're going to pass you by. You're just another flash in the pan. You know what I mean? You have to put out that body of work. They, you know, the fans, even though they're not paying for it, even though they're not, there's no economic return for it, you still have to put out a body of work that they can choose from for their playlist. Because people are not listening to music like we grew up listening to music. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm older. I'm an old guy. You know, I remember mm-hmm. when vinyl was, you know, vinyl. You know, where we used to finance our speakers and, you know, it was about the system, you know, and we listened to music and and concept albums and you would, you know, you know, play it backwards and, you know, Paul is dead, you know, all that jazz, (laughs) you know, um, you know, it it was an experience to listen to vinyl and people now they're listening to songs more like a soundtrack to their life or their activity or their mood, or whatever the case may be. So that's why a lot of these songs get categorized in chill and all this, because yeah. it gives them the opportunity, because this is really a good thing, it gives them the opportunity to be in in multitude of playlists, which is what you want, in order to create awareness of your band, the branding. Yeah. Um, and I think what's happening with streaming is that when the pandemic hit, a lot of artists had to go on to social media, they started doing live streaming from their living rooms, their bedrooms, or you know wherever it is that they were you know live streaming from, and the fans started to get this intimate view of the artists that they like. They started to to connect with them on social media. Uh, Taylor Swift is very well known for being very proactive with her fan base on on uh, uh, on Instagram and on Twitter and all of that. Um, you have uh, Tim McGraw, which is who's very proactive on TikTok, where he finds art you know uh, independent artists that are covering his songs and comments on them. You know what I mean? And I think now the music is part of the real product the real product now is your brand that's really what you're creating is a brand that you can now sell things that have been branded you know your merch your t-shirts your hats things like that Uh, even the artwork from your albums become now part of your branding and part of your, your merch you know what I mean
5: Yes and, uh, and uh, people do uh, things like they they'll write out their lyrics uh, in the longhand and they can sell those on their website because it's, people like that connection of, of one of their favorite songs and having it written in the author's own hand uh, and uh, or photographs and, and uh, like you say the social media, they love the uh, sort of uh, uh, pictures of the band at leisure or just out doing things that, that are not you know, typical on stage. Pump, you know, right. Or, or
1: they they want to know. Yeah, they want to know that personal connection. They don't want to be beat over the head with buy my music, here's my music, listen to my music. They want to say, you know, hey, you know, I I you know I raise chickens, you know, or you know uh, I like to take hikes in the in the mountains, and here's what I see, you know, take pictures, and they they want to get to know the artist, you know. I don't know if you're familiar with Mindy Abar. Um, she does a lot of that. She does a cooking thing with her husband, and then she's got her own line of wines, and you know. So they they want to know the the multiple dimensions of who makes up the artist as a person, as yeah. opposed to just as a musician. You know what I mean?
5: Yeah, I and I, I will I will confess uh, that you know i I've, I've been, you know, I'm kind of an old school guy. I've been doing this, playing music for a long time. And I said, what I like to do is uh, get out there and, and I like to write music. I like to rehearse with the band. Uh, I like, you know, spend a lot of time immersed in the creative process. And the the need, and it is a real need, as you've just outlined, to, to tend to social media uh, and make sure you're building those bridges to your fans, I've found is is difficult because it, it has to have a it has to be realistic it has to have a natural feel
4: so
1: I right.
5: sit down and say well I'm gonna cook up something that I'm gonna push out to social media you know it can't be contrived
1: oh it definitely not, like, it has to be real yeah,
5: and, but, but that sometimes when you when you start to you say geez it's been a whole um, uh, you know it's been a, a week since I put anything on social media I better do something you really got to think about that and I I find that that's uh it is a challenge. It is a challenge to to tend that garden and uh you know keep it watered and, and weeded and and uh fertilized and everything else that that you have to do in a way that's uh going to help it grow naturally. So it's but you know you're absolutely right. It is part of the landscape today. There I mean there are some people who don't do it at all, but I think there are you know, they're they're kind of the remote, temperamental musician, and most people can't afford that. They they like that feeling of intimacy that they actually they know or they have, feel they like have some connection with the artist they admire.
1: Well, so, and it's also part of the marketing for your live shows. I mean, let's yeah. face it: if you know, if 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 a fan drives by that marquee and that name on the marquee is something that he's familiar with, he's seen it on TikTok, he's seen it on on Instagram, he's, you know, he connects with that artist on, uh, on, uh, you know, uh, Facebook or whatever the case may be, they're gonna be more apt to stop and buy a ticket and go in and watch that performance because they get the chance to see that person in person. You know what I mean? To to solidify that connection that they had on social media with a personal connection you know what i mean and i think that's going to be important as we move forward
5: i think it already is and it has been there are some amazing success stories out there of, of artists who have built uh, really a following from nothing just by being creative with social media and and doing interesting and unusual things that get developed their fan base they look follow it and just look at it and say wow i will I want to get to know this person better. They're really unusual. They're really different, and uh, it it is not easy. I will tell you.
1: No, definitely not. Well, you know, I I really appreciate you guys coming on the show and talking with us, and uh, we're going to give everyone out there an indie blues double shot from your new release. Uh, you guys out there, just turn it up loud, open the windows, screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun.
6: Thank you so much. We that is, I mean, to give us this much time is. It's a very rare thing these days. A lot of times you get a 10 minutes and you're out of here. And this was extremely generous of you.
1: Oh, anytime. And it's always my pleasure to talk to you guys. All right, Richard. independent artist looking to take their career to the next level or you're a fan that just loves to discover new artists and new original music making a scene has exactly what you're looking for for the indie artist we have articles on music business gear reviews recording techniques and interviews with industry professionals for the fan We introduce you to new artists every day with our in-depth artist interviews and insightful CD reviews. Nobody gives you more. Making a Scene truly is the number one resource for the indie artist and the fans that love them. Go to makingascene.org and become part of the indie revolution. Ah!
0: Gonna scream my name Make
4: you shout now, honey